Good morning. It is an honor and a delight to be here. The last time I was here, I believe I mentioned to you that um, we've known the Browns since the 70s. Yeah, it's, it's actually true. They are really old. Yeah. <laughs> they, they, they were young kids, of course. <laughs> they were just young kids. But we have known them for decades. Uh, back on the West Coast is where we first met. And uh, uh, to, to our delight and surprise, my wife and I moved out here the same month as the Browns moved out here. We had no idea. We hadn't been in contact with each other. We were living ourselves on the East Coast in Washington, D.C., having... Uh, began a ministry in, in California, Oakland, California. Then we moved to Little Rock, Arkansas. Then we moved to Washington, D.C. We were in D.C. for 13 years, and we came here in 2001. I believe it was the same month. Ah, yeah, June of 2001 that we uh, moved out here and took um, the leadership of Full Faith Church of Love while they took the leadership here at Hope Alive. Having not communicated with each other for years is something rather amazing. It's so good to be with you. It's so good. Uh, I want to repeat something that I probably said the last time I was here. Your worship really ministers to my wife and me. It really, really does. My God. Um, I'm a better person after the worship service. <laughs> I'm glad I wasn't preaching before they led us in worship. <laughs> I don't know how things would be, but I'm, it's going to be good now. It's going to be good now. If, you may not get anything out of it, but I sure will. <laughs> My Lord, I love the worship. I want to talk to you about an interesting subject. I have taught on this in various settings, but I have never, uh, and I have talked about this in various settings, taught and talked, but I've never preached this before. And it has to do with what the title is, The Mystery Surrounding Conflict. And it is something that's very, very dear to me. Uh, I do uh, a lot of work, my wife and I do, with couples who are struggling in their marriages. Um, and we just started a new ministry, in fact, a few months ago, concerning crime victims. Uh, my wife and I moved our office and our base from Shawnee, Kansas, to downtown Kansas City, Missouri. We are literally downtown McGee Street, and the reason why we moved there, we are working with a church there, and we started a ministry called Neighbors Who Care, and we work with the police department, KCMO, and we minister to crime victims. That is the essence of our ministry. We minister to crime victims. And it's something that I was introduced to back in Washington, D.C. in the 1990s, and we opened it here just a matter of a few months ago. Uh, I'll give you just an example to give you perspective, and then we'll proceed with the outline. November 13, 2019, just a few months ago, a gentleman was out walking his dog early in the morning. He took the dog out to Alaskan Husky, big dog, literally is, and... Uh, Alaskan Husky takes it out walking each morning, and so he's walking back towards his house, and he sees someone attempting to break into his car. He attempts to intervene. 
the assailant literally pulls a gun on him and shoots him. This is not a nice story. Subsequent to being shot, uh, he's rushed to the hospital right in front of his house, right in front of his own house. Rushed to the hospital, and if you've been following the news, like I've been following the news, you didn't, I didn't realize the relationship, but the gentleman passed away there in the hospital. He died from the gunshot. And basically doing what I would have attempted to do, that is, I see someone trying to break into my vehicle, I'll try to intervene. Not realizing the guy is packing a gun and not realizing he's going to shoot me, rather than run away. Uh, the gentleman who lost his life had six children. Three of them are adults and they lived uh, on their own and three were at home. One of the three that uh, wasn't is at home is a Down syndrome child. She is 18 years of age but she's, uh, and she goes to school, but she's in special ed, of course. The younger two, a 10-year-old and a 9-year-old, and the uh, 10 and 9-year-old, they go to a special school where they speak French. It is a magnet school and a beautiful family. And so I was contacted by the KCMO uh, Victims Assistance Specialist, and I called and talked to the widow and asked if my team and I could come over, and we went over and we met her. And Mrs. Ortiz is her name, and... Uh, we arrived and we talked and uh, met the girls, the young girls that are living at home. And, um, you know, the Bible talks about weeping with those that weep and rejoice with those that rejoice. It was a time to weep with those that wept. It was, um, this meeting took place oh, late November, and that allowed us to talk to a a number of people that are on our Neighbors Who Care team, and we were able to lavish the family with Christmas presents and, um, and just spend time with them. Spend time with them. I'm going to say something to you that I can't explain what I'm going to say other than the fact that it's just uh, one of God's peculiarities. I seem to have a gift concerning uh, people dealing with death. What I mean by that is I have... I have sat with people as they passed into eternity. I have watched people die. Um, I'm very comfortable being in that role. I, I'm, not, this, I'm not speaking braggadociously at all. I'm being very, very solid and sincere. I'm comfortable. So there I was in the home there and uh, with this widow who had no plans of living the rest of her, rest of her life without her husband. And we were talking about how they're going to survive. Uh, the breadwinner, she worked herself. What are we going to do with this big Alaskan husky? Um, which was the reason he was out that morning. And she's had to alter her schedule, her workload, so she could be home when the Down syndrome child returned home. That was something her husband did, but now she has to do that. And, and so we continue to go over to the home and we continue to support them and encourage them. We continue to pray with them. They are, are believers. They're believers. I want you to know they're believers. And, and I want you to know that I've been in situations on a number of occasions where I've said to God, I don't have an answer for this, but I know that when I see you, I'll understand. 
but between now and then, I don't understand. I know that you are a way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. That's who you are. That's who you've been for me since I was 16 years of age. But I don't understand this. But Father God, you're a father to this family. We've introduced other families to them that are adopting them as it were. There's one particular family that lives literally right around the block. They're believers and they have committed themselves to adopt this family and to walk with them and to be with them and to weep with them and to be sure that they will lack nothing. That's what we do now. That's what we do. That's what we do. It's something that uh, God has called us into. And we, we believe it's an honor. We do. It's a very sacred honor to weep with those that weep and rejoice with those that rejoice. In light of that, Mysteries surrounding conflict. In talking and in counseling and encouraging couples and in talking to groups, I've actually taken this subject into the workplace where just organizations have asked me to come in and share on what I think could work and be effective in the workplace. And I've drafted this outline. Mysteries surrounding conflict. The reason why there's mysteries is because we find ourselves, we'll just use husband and wife as an example, we find ourselves getting married and we find that we were raised in families that didn't talk about difficult things. And so what we do as husbands and as wives is that we put up signs that say, no trespassing. Now we love the man that we married, we love the woman that we married, but we put the signs up anyway, do not talk about this. I'm just not ready to talk about it. I'm, I'm too sensitive. Maybe in the future, maybe not. And then to ensure that they don't violate the no trespassing sign, we put a landmine at the bottom of the sign. <laughs> you go there, you'll lose a leg. <laughs> now, how many of you walk up with a limp every now and then? <laughs> well, that sign means no trespassing. I found that out the hard way. And, and we grow in our marriages, and we have our children, and sometimes we have our children's children, and we never get beyond learning how to talk about the difficult things. And we even will alter our personalities because we don't know how to talk about the difficult things, the offenses. I pray that God will help us this morning as a result of being here. Father, we thank you for your opportunity to worship you. We thank you for this house. We thank you for these people. Bless your word into our hearts and be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. In your outline, moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. Matthew 18, 15. We're going to come back to this text in a minute. Matthew 5 says these words. Uh, you understand the significance of offerings. Uh, 
uh, Pastor Danny talked about being generous and, and giving offerings. You understand in the Old Testament, offerings were so sacred that even the very sons of Aaron who dared to approach God with an inappropriate offering lost their lives. You know the story. Well, how sacred offerings were. Well, in light of that, consider the scripture. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Be reconciled to your brother first and then bring your offering. That's how important our relationships are. You realize that uh, the, the sacrament of communion, there are several sacraments. Marriage is a sacrament. Water baptism is a sacrament. Communion is a sacrament. But the sacrament communion carries with it one particular stipulation, and that is this. People have lost their lives, have gone into eternity prematurely because they would dare to participate in the Lord's table and yet have inappropriate relationships. And so the Apostle Paul actually gives a warning. Get things resolved. Get things right. Discern the body of Christ before you participate in the sacrament of communion because it's that sacred. It's that sacred. It has to do with relationships. What is conflict? Any disagreement of any kind can develop into a conflict. Any difference in preference or perspective can develop into a conflict. Uh, you realize that there could be conflict here right now. Uh, someone could be uh, frustrated with the temperature in the room and, and it could lead to a conflict. I remember one time uh, I was pastoring in California, had a great service, service ended. I stepped down from the uh, pulpit and someone says, we have an emergency in the hallway. Pastor, can you go back? So I walked back there, not knowing what it was, and a lady walks up to me with her darling little daughter. The daughter was probably about three years of age, and uh, she looked like a little cherub looking up at me, smiling at me, and, and I said, what's the problem? She says, the mother says to me, I quote, she bites. And I said, I quote, she what? And she, uh, she says, she bites. She bites. She bites what? Other children. What, what do you mean? What's going on? She, well, she's, I had her in the nursery, and she was biting other children. Oh, I see. Now, I had not been, uh, I didn't have, have not had any children at that point in time, and so I didn't know the significance. Uh, there's a whole issue about putting your child in the nursery and someone inviting your child, and you're trying to worship, and you hear your child's been bitten in the house of the Lord? <laughs> Woo! I did not know. But I found out real quick. And, uh, and so I actually said to the mother, I actually said to the mother, what do you want me to do? And she said to me, I want you to pray. Now, I'm looking at this little cherub. She's smiling at me, little thing. Pews can be, you want me to pray for her so she won't bite? That's right. So I gave it my best. <laughs> I gave my best shot. You know, Lord, <laughs> I placed my hand on her gently. I gave it the best shot I had. I don't know what happened. I kind of peeked out to make sure she wasn't going to bite me. <laughs> But there was conflict. There was conflict. And it can be anywhere. It can be everywhere. The sermon can be too long. The service can go long. Uh, I've had people complain about the worship service. Uh, here's a conflictual issue. 
Volume in the house of the Lord. Volume, baby. That's a conflict in the house of the Lord. Can somebody say amen? Whoa, volume is too loud. It's too soft. Can you sing one more song or one less song? There can be conflict. There's room at the cross for you. There's conflict at the cross for you. <laughs> conflict is a normal part of life. I tell people all the time, literally all the time, if you don't like conflict, you can't deal with conflict, do not get married. I tell them that. Do not get, I tell couples that. Because there will be conflict. But she's a wonderful woman. She's beautiful and I love her. I understand that. But the problem is that she's not you. You are not marrying a replica of yourself. You're marrying someone other than yourself and there will be conflict. Somebody's going to hog the covers at night and you're going to get cold. The room's going to be too hot. Um, the, the food is not, dinner's not done on time. Yeah. Well, well, <laughs> one day I came home, true story. I was a pastor in Little Rock, Arkansas. I was at the office working for the Lord all day. I came home and my wife was out mowing the lawn of all things. And I was shocked. What are you doing mowing the lawn? And our kids were so young they couldn't do it and she just wanted to bless me. And, uh, and, and then in my stupidity, I asked, the, what are we having for dinner? <laughs> in my stupidity, I asked, what are we having for dinner? And, and, and literally, this is what happened. And I'm still paying for this, by the way. <laughs> she told me we were having so uh, potatoes and sausage a wonderful dish, and I just simply was not in the mood for that, and my body language screamed. I didn't say a word. I'm not that stupid, but my body language screamed as if to say, oh, I kind of rolled my eyes, as it were, and she caught it, boys. Church, she caught it. <laughs> now, get the picture. She's mowing the lawn for me by the sweat of her brow, and I have the nerve to ask what's for dinner, and then I don't show just glorious appreciation I'm thankful she didn't run me over with the lawnmower. <laughs> we still talk about that. We still talk about, how dare you? I'm mowing the lawn and you don't appreciate dinner. Conflict is a part of life. It's a part of life. But the problem is that if we don't know how to address conflict, we end up with a yard full of no trespassing signs and landmines at the bottom. Don't go there. Don't go there. Look at number two in your outline. What is the cost of conflict avoidance? The cost of conflict avoidance is this. Your personality can be stronger than your counterpart. It can be, your personality can be stronger than your spouse. That is, you're the dominant personality in the marriage, or you're the dominant personality in the business, or the dominant personality in the church, whatever the case would be. And if you control things because you believe that you have the voice of God, if you control things where your counterpart resigns to the flat fact that they just have to get along. If they're going to get along with you, they got to avoid conflict. Then you squelch their personality. You squelch them. 
And it is very, very common. It is very common for my wife and me to be sitting talking with a couple and we'll ask the, uh, the, the one who's not as dominant, what do you think about this? And he or she will look at their counterpart as if to say, do I have permission to tell them the truth? I've actually had people say, well, I really don't want to go there. I've had people say in so many words, I, I really can't talk about that. We, we're in a situation right now where a, a wife is texting us, literally. As I am, I mean, I'm talking this weekend saying, uh, let's be careful. I don't want my husband to find out that we're talking about what we're talking about. She's afraid. And the, uh, and the problem is so obvious, it is the elephant in the room. But she can't talk about it. And it is as common as the day is long. Conflict avoidance. So you alter your personality. Your, your, your values can't be expressed. Your beliefs, your very convictions can't be expressed. Now, do you really want to do that to your counterpart? Do you, the dominant one, really want to squelch the gift that God has given you in your mate, your spouse, or your business partner, your parishioners? There is a tendency, number three in your outline, amongst God's people to avoid conflict. Now, I have uh, been saved since the uh, mid-60s. I started pastoring in the mid-70s. I've been meeting with couples. I've been meeting with individuals. I have been meeting with corporate executives. I've been meeting with CEOs. I've been meeting with spouses for over 40 years. My conclusion is that believers somehow have been duped into believing that conflict is not of God. And if it's not of God, then you simply don't deal with it. You run from it. You avoid it. You don't talk about it. The Holy Spirit will work it out. You don't even have to say amen or that I know what I just said is true. I know it's true. So I have a bold statement in your outline. God wants us to engage in conflict. I'm going to show you how and why. We're going to go back to our text, Matthew 18. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. There's a presupposition. The presupposition is this. We've lost our brother. We've lost our sister. We've lost our counterpart. Now, what do you mean lost? My wife didn't leave me when I um, rolled my eyes concerning the potatoes and sausage dinner. I'm sure it crossed her mind. But she didn't leave me, so I didn't lose her. Well, but here's the problem. If she were not willing, if she had not been willing to say, that bothered her. What bothers The look in your eye, the lack of appreciation. I'm out here mowing the lawn for you because I wanted to bless you, and I had prepared dinner already, and have four kids in the house. And there were stair steps. Every 20 months, we had a child. Within a five-year period of time, we had, a ch we had four children within five years. I had the nerve to come home 
to a woman who's raising my five kids who's out mowing the lawn for me and then to roll my eyes at the dinners? We might want a healing line in which y'all can just stretch and just, <laughs> rather than lay hands on me, just give me a swift kick. <laughs> and she let it be known, I didn't, she didn't appreciate that. Women say amen. <laughs> okay, okay. What do you mean the presupposition is you lost your brother? Well, you lose one another in that if you avoid conflict, you don't go there. Whatever that subject is, and that's where you lose your loved one, your colleague. Because if he hears you, you will have gained your brother. The presupposition, we lost our brother because we didn't address the conflict. And many people have been walking around, walking through life, having lost their loved one for years. They're physically there. So, if your brother sins against you, now I would also offer that, I don't want to change the scriptures, but you could easily say when your brother sins against you. Or when your brother offends you. Or when your brother creates an awkward situation when your brother embarrasses you, your sister, when they do, violates you. Jesus, in the teaching, says you go and tell him his fault. You, the innocent party, you, the one who's been offended, you, the one who's been sinned against, you take the initiative and you engage the guilty party and you tell them their fault. Now, why should it be that I'm the innocent one, which is not normal? <laughs> well, let's assume that I'm the innocent party. Now, God, why should I have to go and engage the guilty party? They're, they started it. You know, we've been saying that since we were kids. He started it. He hit me first. How many times have parents have we heard that? He hit me first. I'm the innocent party. I'm the one that you should prefer. Give me the easier job. And Jesus says, no, I want you, the innocent party, to interact with the guilty party, initiate reconciliation. You go to that party and you tell them their fault. Now, why? Here's the why. Number one, they may not even be aware that they offended you. They may not even be aware that they offended you. They could be totally ignorant of the offense, and you could be seething mad. Number two, they may be so overwhelmed with guilt and shame because of the offense. Maybe they are aware of what they've done, and they're so ashamed that they can't bring themselves to look you in the eye and make things right. Three, to ensure that you, the innocent party, do not take upon yourself the badge of offense. You know, there's power in the badge of offense. You offended me. There's power in that. You wronged me. You made me look bad in the house of the Lord. And I'll never get over it. There's power in that. To ensure that you don't put on the badge of offense, Jesus says, the innocent party, you, 
you go and initiate reconciliation with the guilty party. Now, this is, this is hard to chew. This is hard to chew. But it's biblical. He says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Okay. What and why not? Or what and what not to do? First of all, he says, go and tell him his fault. Now, as Christians, we've been taught to minimize, trivialize, and believe it or not, we've been taught to lie. Oh, it was nothing. It, it was nothing. It, it really didn't bother me. When we were at home after we were embarrassed in the Sunday morning service and we paced the floor back, and how dare him say that to me? How dare him use me like that? How dare him embarrass me? We find ourselves looking at that person, and they, and as a guilty party, may even be coming to me, may even come to us and say, I just want to know, did I hurt your feelings? Oh, no, it was nothing. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm bigger than that. The, the, in fact, give it to the Lord. Give it to the Lord. Give it to the Lord. You hear what I'm saying? And we've been taught to minimize. We've been taught to trivialize. We've been taught to even lie. Jesus says this, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. You mean I'm to go to that party, I'm the innocent party, I'm to go to the guilty party and to tell that party how they affected me, truly? Yes. Yes. Why? Because, number one, if you tell them their fault, there's a good chance they will learn not to do it again. There's a very good chance. You're trying to redeem the situation and the person. Tell them their fault between you and them alone. Wow. No minimization. No trivialization. No lying in the name of the Lord. Yeah. That's right. That's right. And you speak the truth in love. It says between you and them alone. Which means the ladies group or the men's group don't need to hear about it. Which means your best friend doesn't need to hear about it. You go to them, you tell them alone. Between you and them. And if he hears you, you've gained your brother, your sister. About two years ago, my wife and I were talking one morning, and uh, we were in the kitchen area, and at the counter talking, and, and um, my wife has always honored me. I'm not just saying that because she's sitting here, and it's, it's right for me to say that. It's really the truth. She just has always honored me, respected me. And she was saying some things that morning that I thought were very disrespectful of me, and I was shocked. 
That's just not who she is. And it went on, and, and she continued to talk, and, and I continued to feel disrespected. And I, I, I'm not a sensitive person. So to this very day, I really can't explain what was going on between the two of us. We were the only two there. But nonetheless, and I remember saying to myself, this angers me. I really was angry, and I remember saying that. Now, if that bothers you that the preacher was angry towards his wife, uh, believe me, I'm not the first preacher that's ever been angry with his wife. <laughs> believe me. And I opted to not say anything at that point because I knew I was angry. I, I remember distinctly saying to myself, I'm going to keep this to myself, but I'm going to deal with it later. And so later that evening, we went out to eat. We, in fact, we went to the plaza, had a nice meal. And uh, on our way home from the plaza, I hadn't planned this. I wish I could say that I actually had, but it was, it was ideal because I was driving and I was looking straight ahead. And uh, I couldn't, and, well, I could have pulled over, but I opted not to. And I said, as I'm driving, I want to talk to you about something. And she's looking straight ahead, and I'm looking straight ahead. Now, put a parenthesis right there for a second. Years ago, something happened in my life that impacted me dramatically about this, about what I'm going to say. Um, we have three sons and one daughter, and, and there's 20 months apart. So at one point in time, they were all teenagers at the same time. If you think I'm not a strong man, <laughs> boy, boy, girl, boy, and they're all teens at the same time. And uh, I had, uh, I'm, I'm kind of a transparent kind of person. So concerning the subject of sex, I wanted to be the first one to talk about it to my boys. And you know, some dads run from it. I ran to it. And, but I could never get my boys to talk or respond. I mean, they would sit there and listen and uh, look as scared as they could be. But... Uh, but I, I wanted to get some feedback, and I tried at different times to get my boys to feed back to me. What's going on? How are you feeling about this and that and the other concerning sexuality? And uh, I'm fine, Dad. And that was all I was getting. Well, one day, my oldest boy and I, we were leaving church, and we happened to be in the same vehicle. And because um, we uh, had a lot of um, PA equipment in the vehicle, I was driving a van, um, my wife and the rest of the children were in another vehicle, so just my oldest boy and I, we were talking. He was about 16 years of age, and we're driving down the street, and we're looking straight ahead. And out of the clear blue, he starts talking to me, and this is what he says, Dad, why do girls wear short skirts? And, um, and I kind of, what? Why do girls wear short skirts? Man, it's, it's like they're trying to get your attention. I mean, man, the skirts are getting shorter and shorter. And I'm thinking to myself, I've been trying to get this kid to talk to me for years. What's going on? What time of the day is it? What do you have on? Um, what, what cologne did you use? And I could not pull over. I would have pulled over, but I couldn't pull over. And I'm just driving down the road, and I'm having to keep my eyes on the road. And he's looking straight ahead. And we had the best conversation about boys, girls, sexuality, teens, and the whole thing. And and, uh, and, and, and the perils of public school and all of that, you can only imagine. It was a wonderful conversation. I would have paid for it. Later that week, that was Sunday, later that week, I'm in my office and I have a psychotherapist, a Christian psychotherapist, and a licensed therapist. They're all, both, they're talking um, about some matters. And I say to the guys, guys, you know my son, Micah. 
all of a sudden, he starts talking to me about sex. I've been trying to get him to talk to me for years. And he just opened up in the clear blue. Why do you think that happened? And the psychotherapist says, what, do you, what were you doing? What was going on? I says, well, I was driving. Uh, did you pull over? No. And you were just driving straight ahead. Right. He's looking straight ahead. You're looking straight ahead. Yeah. I said, Don, don't you understand something? You are a very intimidating guy. You have beady eyes, Don. And, <laughs> and Don, there's no way in the world a kid of yours is going to be comfortable talking to you about sex with you glaring down at him. What do you think about sex? I'm not sure an adult would be comfortable talking to you. <laughs> Don, don't you get it? Take your kids for drives. And don't pull over and don't look at them. And just start the conversation without looking at them. And it was true. Take them for drives. Okay, back to my story. So my wife and I were driving home from the plaza having had a nice dinner, and we're driving. I hadn't planned this, but the fact that we were driving. And I said to her, you know, this morning when we were talking, now follow me carefully, I, I felt disrespected when you said this, this, and this. Now notice what I did. I felt disrespected when you said this, this, this. And I, and I couldn't get over what was going on? I went on to explain, you're not a disrespectful person, particularly towards me. And we had this conversation. I named the subject and things that were said. And I never said, you disrespected me. Very important point. I said, I felt disrespected. And then I gave her an opportunity to respond. I never accused her. Well, I'm not surprised. She said, I had no idea that what I was saying was disrespectful. I literally, and she went on to explain in detail. I just had no idea. And we were able to reconcile because she had lost me. You know, you gain your brother. She had lost me. No, I was still married. I'm still going to come home. I'm still going to enjoy the dinners without complaint. But there was something that was there. You follow what I'm saying? There was something that was there because of what happened as I was interpreting that morning's activities. Something had happened. And so I engaged her, but I didn't accuse her. And she was able to respond. And she just was, she began to profusely apologize. But I could truly say to her, well, I understand. You, you didn't understand which, how it was impacting me. And she said, I had no idea. And it was a very meaningful encounter. Very meaningful. And I, I, as I take it, I repeat it myself, I forgave her. And she asked for forgiveness. But we were reconciled. We dealt with conflict. And we were reconciled. Now, if you think that the thing I should have done was to simply do nothing, stuff it, be mad. Oh, God will take care of it. You know, if you're angry, you know, you're taught to stuff it, and, and, and somehow, some way you're taught, and somehow it'll go away. Hear me, if you hear nothing else, hear this this Sunday morning. Anger does not go away by stuffing it. Even when you no longer feel angry, it's still there. 
I want to repeat myself. Even when you no longer feel angry, it is still there. And I will argue that is what Jesus meant when he said, you will gain your brother. We lose one another because we don't deal with issues. We lose one another. So what are you getting out of this message? What did the big time preacher say this morning? Well, he says this. Conflict is not bad. Conflict avoidance is. It is impossible to go through life without conflict. You can, some of you are going to have conflict before the day's over. You might not, might not even make it to the car. That's okay. Choose the proper time, place. Use the proper language, such as, this is how I felt when you made that joke about me in front of the walkers this morning. This is how I felt when you didn't open the door for me and I was waiting for you. <coughs> Excuse me. This is what I was thinking when this didn't happen. And, and when you talk like that, you are not accusing. You disrespected me. You ignored me. You made me feel belittled. You made me feel unloved. I felt so insignificant because of the way you treated me. Say, this is how I felt. And that way, there's less apt of a need to defend themselves when you don't accuse them. And then, you can talk. You can talk. You want to get into the habit of addressing conflict. Now, all the subjects that Jesus could have dealt with, all the things he could have talked about in Matthew chapter 18, he chose to say this. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. I close with this. God is not religious. We are. God isn't. God doesn't wait to show up Sunday morning at 10 o'clock. And all of a sudden, he's God. God is with you when you're mowing the lawn. Even if you're mowing it for that knuckle-headed guy you married. God is in the kitchen when you're preparing dinner. God is with you when you're hitting those hips, those kids. I told you if you didn't pick up those clothes and then you deal with it, God is there. God is with you in your business, in your transactions, in your family relationships. God is with you during your time of grief, your time of loss. Church, I want you to hear me. He wants us to engage conflict. He doesn't want us to wait till we're angry and boiling over where we have to talk. He wants us to deal with it in a calm, godly way. When you didn't get back with me like you told me you would, I felt disrespected. 
felt disrespected. When you didn't pay me the money back that you told me you would, I felt violated. There's something also to be said about being willing to acknowledge I was wrong. Would you forgive me? I was wrong. Would you forgive me? Father, thank you. Thank you for the principles of your kingdom. Your promise is that you would teach us your way so that we could walk in your path. Take these words, take this outline, take these truths, Father, and burn them upon the fleshly tables of our hearts. Help us in our relationships with our spouse. Help us in our relationships with our children, our parents, our colleagues, our neighbors, our parishioners. We love you, Lord. Your promise, you would teach us your ways, and we will walk in your paths. In Jesus' name, amen.